0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast. I'm your host, Zach Bitter, and today I have a topic-based episode for you. Today's topic is going to be sort of just my nutrition philosophy. So I've talked about nutrition, specifically my nutritional approach, quite a bit on this podcast in the past, but I do think oftentimes ends up being kind of part of something versus just having like a really big step back and looking at it from like a broad perspective of kind of how I view the way it ends up playing out on paper or what you maybe hear and see being spoken about on this podcast and maybe other podcasts as well. So I thought it'd be fun to record an episode where I just sort of back up, introduce a little bit About my actual philosophy as a whole, and then dive into some of the details as to how I end up deciding what the inputs end up being. So, today's episode is gonna kind of be something similar to what I would just call like my nutrition philosophy. All right, just a couple announcements before we get rolling here. If you want to be entered into a monthly raffle, and I will be announcing the next one soon. To win a free consultation with me, all you have to do is when you download and listen to one of the episodes of the Human Performance Outliers podcast, share it on social media. If you share the episode on social media and tag me, so if it's on Instagram, tag me at Zach Bitter. If it's on Twitter, tag me at ZBitter. If you do that, I will take note and enter you into the raffle. And then at the end of each month, I'm going to draw a person and they're going to win a free 30-minute consultation with me. So if you're interested in that, share the show, help me grow it, and enter yourself in a chance to win a consultation. Also, if you happen to be in Austin, I help host a group run on Sunday mornings. We typically met, the, I should say the bulk of the group would typically meet at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings at Metz Park. We also have an 8 a.m. option. So as the summer heat picks up here in Austin, people at the nine o'clock group are slowly starting to filter into the eight o'clock where I predict like as summer continues on, The 8 a.m. start is probably going to be the one that has the most people at it as things kind of head that direction. So if you want to meet up, though, I should on most occasions be at both the 8 o'clock and at the very least the start of the 9 a.m. So if you want to come hang out, chat with me for a little bit, go for a little bit of a run around part of Town Lake. We have a four-mile option, a six-mile option, and actually a two-mile one as well, with, which is usually used more for, for a walk or like a stroller push type of a setting, but that's there as well. So details for that can be found at Outliers ATX on Instagram. That's at outliersATX on Instagram. That's where we'll put up weekly announcements and things like that for that. Also, if you're interested in what I'm up to, as well as things like coaching services, signing up for consultations, you can find all that stuff on my website at ZachBitter.com. There, I also have the full catalog to the show. So that is ZachBitter.com forward slash HPO. But if you just go to my website at ZachBitter.com, you'll have links to that. That whole catalog's on there. So if you want to go check out things like previous episodes, details about them, whether it's guest or topic based, that's a great spot to look It also has some options for show support, whether that would be contributing to through donations or joining the show Patreon page, which does get you early access as well as intro audio free. So it goes straight into the topic of the episode. If you kind of want to get straight to the point, supporting on Patreon is a great way to do that. One final announcement before we get rolling, just a quick shout out to the show sponsors this year. Those include LMNT electrolytes and Delta G ketones. Element t Electrolytes is currently running a promotion where you can try out all their flavors in a sample pack for free with your first purchase. Right now is a great time to try that out too because they have their limited edition grapefruit flavor on their catalog at the moment. If you do that and you get that free sample pack, you'll also get citrus, watermelon, orange, grapefruit, like I mentioned, raspberry, chocolate, mango, chili, raw, unflavored. All you got to do to access that is use the show, show URL, which is going to be in the show notes. But for those of you listeners, it's going to be drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO to get you that free sample pack option. What you get with their electrolytes is each little convenient packet comes with 1000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, 60 milligrams of magnesium. For me, that means about one of those packets in about two liters of fluid. I'll usually have a little bit of chocolate with my coffee in the morning, and then I'll have that ratio built into my hydration if I'm heading out for a longer session in the morning, especially if it is hot. Also supporting the show this year is Delta G Ketones. This year, I added a new product to my training and racing routine. The latest research on exogenous ketones motivated me to consider trying them out. I've been using Delta G formulation mainly because all the research showing promising benefits and recovering performance have been done using their formula. So when it came to deciding which exogenous ketone do I want to try playing around with during the year, Delta G stood out. I was really fortunate that on their website at deltagketones.com, you can actually sign up for a free consultation and they will actually look at what you're doing and help you decide whether it's a good idea or not to introduce some exogenous ketones into your training or your lifestyle and specifically how to do it. So for example, for me, what this means is if I'm doing a big workout or a key workout, I'll just take one bottle of Delta G ketones performance and you head out for the workout. If I'm doing something longer, like a race, like a hundred mile race, I'll take one of those before and then about every three hours afterwards. So they kick in in about 15 minutes or so. And that's when you can start to see that concentration in your blood show up. So usually if it's before something, I'll try to take it around that amount of time before the start of it. One of the reasons, like I said, Delta G stuck out to me is they actually are the ketone ester that received the DARPA grant in effort to design the formula for special forces. Since then, Delta G has produced 50 plus published studies and are part of 20 plus ongoing studies. These studies include two very recent ones that explored exogenous ketone relationship with increasing natural levels of EPO, as well as increasing circulating dopamine concentration, improving mental alertness, and improving post-exercise inflammation in endurance athletes. So check out Delta G's research and their product line at deltagketones.com. Like I said, there you can also sign up for a free consultation to dive into the research, usage, and whether it is beneficial for you. For those who have been following along, it won't be a surprise to you that I follow a low or maybe you would consider it lower carbohydrate diet, meaning that the bulk of my macronutrient intake tends to come from fat as kind of like the foundation there. And then I will add carbohydrates and proteins to that in varying degrees, depending on kind of where I'm in training, things like that. The protein tends to be a little more fixed in terms of I'm targeting a relative similar amount of protein pretty much every day, regardless of whether I'm in season or an off season, whereas fat and carbohydrates are the ones that tend to move a little bit more in terms of where I'm placing their percentage of my dietary intake at. And that's going to be a lot more dependent on where I am in the year between things like off season, base building, speed work development, long run development, All sorts of different components that go into the way I tend to prepare for these races and the way my lifestyle shifts during the weeks and months of the calendar year as I'm preparing for specific races. So, we'll get into all those details here. But first, like I said, I want to kind of back up. Since I have found that personally, for me, a lower carbohydrate approach tends to work well for my lifestyle and the things that I'm doing, which tend to be longer ultra marathons or 100 mile type races. I start with that as being kind of like the foundation, but then keep it pretty open as to what actually those inputs are going to be from that. Over the course of the year, this type of a program oftentimes has me falling in ranges that are around this. About 60 to 80% of my intake coming from dietary fat, 5 to 20% coming from carbohydrate, and 15 to 20% coming from protein. So like I mentioned, during different phases of different years is where I'm probably going to fall within that range. So let's say I'm in kind of like a more no structured off season. This would be the time of year that I would be much more close to what some people maybe would consider even a strict ketogenic diet, where I'm probably going to be less than 5% of my intake from dietary carbohydrate during that phase of training. I'm going to have upwards to 75, 80% from fat, and then 15 to 20% from protein. So, you know, I'm not really asking my body to do a lot physically, I'm certainly not asking to do a lot of glycolytic type stuff. So during that time of year, sometimes I find it is a good opportunity for me to, if I want play around with a more stricter ketogenic style of a low carbohydrate diet. Whereas, as I'll show, when I get into training, I don't find that to be the best path forward for me. So usually then I'll head into some form of uh, just kind of volume build where I'm reintroducing running and I'm doing it at a relatively low intensity or what you may consider at or below my aerobic threshold, I would put that within the easy category. So if you're listening to previous episodes and you want to know more about that easy category, I did recently release an episode called Easy Run Simplified, where I do go through the components of that easy category. And that would be a very good representation of that type of part of the year where I'm not really doing a lot of speed work yet. I'm just churning out volume, getting my legs back under me to that kind of target volume range that I will typically average over the course of a year and making sure everything is is going well before I start getting overly structured with things like speed work and stuff like that. And just generally making sure I have a strong foundation in place before I start adding the components that will ultimately have me ready to peak for whatever race I'm planning for next. So during that kind of build or that, that volume build part of the year, I'll usually be somewhere in the neighborhood around 10% carbohydrate, uh, 70 to 75% fat and 15 to 20% protein. Next will be a phase of the year that I would likely transition into some form of speed work development. I tend to do these earlier in a training cycle because they're very valuable for just creating an overall fit runner. They're non-specific to the races I'm doing. So I find them important in terms of putting me in a good position to when I do focus more primarily on long run development and race specific intensities to be as fit as I can, just kind of globally within the running picture and get more value out of the race-specific stuff that I'm going to end up doing. But since they are unspecific to race day intensity, I tend to do them earlier than, say, if I were to say training for like a 5K or 10K, in which case some of that higher intensity or moderate intensity work would be very specific to the race intensity that I'd be doing, in which case I'd want to be doing these type of workouts closer to race season or the goal events I'd be targeting. But during this phase of training is when I tend to have the most amount of carbohydrate in my diet, during the year. And that just makes sense to me in the sense that that's the type of uh, exercise that's going to be more demanding of that fuel source. So during that time of year, I'm usually somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20% carbohydrate, 60 to 70% fat and 15 to 20% protein. So one thing that I usually like to share around this phase of training too, is I tend to be a lot less Like consistent by the number from day to day. I start to kind of look at my diet a little more in multiple days versus single days. A lot of times with nutrition, I think people tend to look at it as this is what I eat in a day. And then when they wake up next morning, essentially like there's a reset and they start to do it over again. And then they have like a program that they maybe follow where they're targeting, you know, whatever it happens to be. I don't see a huge problem with that. Normally, but for my lifestyle, when I'm doing speed work development, that phase of training, each day is drastically different, especially when compared to any other point of the calendar year, where like if you look at off-season, each day is fairly similar. When you look at base building, every day is fairly similar. Even when I'm looking at long-run development, even though I'm going to have probably some bigger boluses of volume on some of those bigger long-run days, the intensity of those days tends to be fairly similar from one day to the next. Speed work development is quite different where I might be doing short intervals a couple times a week, which would make those days very different than, say the days in between them or the days surrounding them. So for this type of the year or this type of the time frame, I'm a lot less likely to say like, all right, if I'm targeting, let's just say, for example, twenty percent of my intake from carbohydrate for that phase, I'm a lot less likely just to say like Monday through Sunday, twenty percent on the head keep going, rinsing and repeating, I'm much more likely to look at it through what the day is asking. So that could be, I'm flexing up well beyond 20% for a day when I'm doing short intervals, but then i have a rest day or a very easy day following that flexing down well below 20%. But then over the course of those two days would be averaging in that roughly 15 to 20% range during that phase of training. So you may have some of these ebbs and flows where some days look a little bit higher than my averages normally would be on average for that phase of training. And then there are going to be days where it's a little bit lower, but when you add them all up over the course of that phase of training, it will kind of come out to roughly that kind of target that I looked at for that. Next I'm usually moving into some form of long run development where that becomes the primary focus. So I'm getting closer to race day. So I'm looking at usually somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight weeks before whatever race I'm going to be targeting. And I'm just going to be pushing a lot of my training load towards focusing on volume at race intensity. And this can oftentimes mean, mean doing that in the fashion of building out more than one long run per week, as well as just overall volume. So this tends to be where my volume or my time spent running tends to be the highest during the year, but a lot of it's at kind of that similar intensity I did in the beginning where it's at aerobic threshold or below, especially if it's something like a hundred mile race where I'm going to be probably pushing up to my aerobic threshold, but likely not crossing over it in any meaningful way throughout the course of that event. So because that intensity is lower, I do keep carbohydrates a little bit lower than I typically do during that speed work development. But since the volume is higher, I do tend to have a little bit more than say I would during that base pinning. Base building phase, or certainly the off season phase. And those numbers usually come out to somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 to 15% carbohydrate, 65 to 70% fat, and 50, 15 to 20% protein. So that is kind of the framework at which I'm working from. And like I said in the beginning, from there, it becomes a question of what are the inputs or what foods am I going to put into that structure in order to meet those macronutrient ranges. So those inputs, as far as I'm concerned, are very subject to change, and I'm more or less indifferent to what they actually end up being. So historically, over the course of my, my approach, I've been doing this for coming up on 12 years. Actually, I believe this fall will be the 12th year that I've in, implemented some form of a lower-carbohydrate diet into my training and racing. Uh, and through that time, I've done everything essentially from a plant-based approach to an animal product-based approach and then everything in between. I've never done anything quite as strict as like strict vegan or strict carnivore, but I've gotten, you know, pushed pretty close to that where like a large majority of the inputs are from those type of products. And that's more or less just curiosity. I don't necessarily believe that there's any any compelling reason from a performance standpoint that, you know, one would favor favor what I'm trying to do over the other. A lot of it ends up becoming something where it's like at, a, at you eventually had to get around to having something. So deciding what your preferences are, what essentially in some cases when I'm doing a lot of this running, like what is digesting the best and feeling the best going into workouts and in weighing all those sort of things. But I have done a wide range of that stuff at uh, throughout the course of my career. Uh, the way I usually end up structuring that is I aim to build out a, a, a like a rough at like a rough kind of protocol that I'll implement on most days. I try to keep a little bit of flexibility for just, you know, life purposes and things like that, like if you're traveling, you're going out with friends, things like that. But when I'm at home and I'm more or less kind of just in my routine, I try to build out what I would look at kind of approximately like a baseline nutrition inputs and those will usually be somewhere in the neighborhood of like 2000 to 2500 calories and my goal with that is to make sure I'm hitting or surpassing all of my micronutrient needs within that. So then from there, I can just input extra based on both those macronutrient ranges that I'm targeting and whatever extra energy I'm going in for. Because usually that 2000 to 2500 is roughly going to cover what I would probably burn if it was like kind of off season, if I'm not like totally sedentary. Usually I'm moving around to some degree So there's a little bit of light activity involved even in my off seasons or in my, my rest days and things like that. And generally speaking, if I want to be weight stable, that's a pretty good target for me. So I tend to just make my baseline built off of that so that then I can also, then I could just say, okay, well now I'm adding structure to this and I'm introducing, let's say 90 minutes of running and 30 minutes of strength work. I can add the additional energy needs on top of that to match what I'm putting in and kind of stay at that spot that I want to be. So currently, those inputs tend to be favoring towards a certain groups of foods that I've just been interested in at the moment. And those are going to be things like full fat yogurt, uh, kefir, eggs, salmon, olive oil, milk, cheese, broccoli, cauliflower, romaine, lettuce, Root vegetables, a variety of root vegetables for if I'm inputting more carbohydrates and fruits of some variety. If I'm inputting more, if I'm if I'm in the higher part of the carbohydrate phase, and then I'll use uh, usually to supplement when I'm going above and beyond my kind of my daily energy needs at a at a resting rate. We'll add a lot of the S fuels product line to that, and that will be a lot of things that'll be using like intra workout. So like if I'm going out and doing a speed work session or a longer session. I'll be practicing a lot of times the fueling strategy I'm going to be using on race day. So then I would be using like S fuels race plus, or if I just need extra calories to go on top of that 2000 to 2500 that I have at baseline, something like their keto three breakfast cereal will be something I'll maybe add to like, just bolster up the calorie input for that day and get closer to that target. And, you know, like I said, stay within those macronutrient ranges that I'm more or less trying to target there is a lot of range that can be put into this type of an approach. And that's where I think makes it sustainable for me. So there's a lot of conversations around nutrition that is like, well, you know, X approach is unsustainable, or this way of eating is not something that people can maintain. And I do think it's very, very valuable for a person to ask themselves the question of, can I do this for the rest of my life? in order to get a gauge as to whether a specific way of eating is something that they could more or less count on being reproducible or something they could stay stay consistent to. Because if I set up what I would consider like a really good nutrition strategy, but when I'm honest with myself, I think, well, there's no way I could consistently do this for a long period of time or for the rest of my life. I have to question whether I'm going to be able to actually be consistent with that. So with a lot of these approaches, I think just consistency and someone's ability to adhere to it are probably the biggest starting points when you're constructing these sort of things. And for me, I like to have some structure because I think some structure gives you a guide and it gives you like the scaffolding to really be accurate and the motivation to feel like you're actually doing something versus just kind of throwing caution to the wind, so to speak. But I also like that within my approach, I do have the flexibility to, like I said, sometimes drastically change those inputs. We're spoiled in the sense that we have tons and tons of variety, and that can be good and bad. I think we see this all the time in the nutrition community where we have so many options, some that are like incredibly calorie dense and hyper palatable to the point where we have an obesity problem. But we also can look at that as we've got tons of options. And as long as we're willing to put some structure in place there, whatever that happens to be, then you have essentially limitless inputs to play around with. So for me, I sort of exercise the variety and the curiosity side of my personality by changing those inputs from time to time when I get bored of some of those inputs. So like right now, the current inputs I have, I'll keep running that until I see a reason not to, until I start getting bored with it or get interested with something else from an input standpoint, then I'll change it and I'll play around with it, see how I respond to that. But for me, from one of the things I've learned over that the 12 years, essentially of doing this approach is really the inputs outside of uh, individual preferences and the way your body responds to it. I mean, everyone has certain things where like a certain food just doesn't respond well them; it gives them a stomach ache or they have an allergy to it, or they just simply don't like it. So it's not, motivating at all to be consistent with eating it you know for that person they're not going to want to include that in their their frequent inputs or their kind of stock inputs so you know for me it's more of an exercise of like learning kind of where my preferences lie and then which foods respond and and sit in my stomach the best during certain phases of training and during certain workouts which ones i can use at certain times and things like that so that's it that's kind of the basic outlet outlook of it all i think i'm probably going to do another podcast episode that looks at this, but looks at it as like how I behave when I'm working with a nutritional approach for someone that I'm coaching. So I'm an endurance coach. So that's kind of my primary goal is building plans and training programs for endurance athletes. But for some of my clients, they're also interested in working with me because I've been doing a lower carbohydrate approach and they want me to help them navigate that for one reason or the other. So it's just a conversation that oftentimes comes up when I'm working with them. So I think I'm going to do an episode that like, maybe I lay out how I start out with that or how I introduce that to someone. Or maybe another way to look at is that when I'm onboarding a coaching client who isn't interested in it or they're aware of it, but they're curious about it, but not sure how I maybe started out, like what are the questions that we ask? How do we determine if this is an approach that's good for them or if they need to be following something entirely different and how you kind of navigate that conversation? I think that's probably an episode in and of itself. So I'll likely be recording one that's more specific onto my approach when working with other people in terms of inputting their dietary habits and practices into their endurance training program. All right, if you want to reach out to me, give me any suggestions about the podcast, have any questions about this particular episode, feel free to reach out to me. There's a variety of different ways to do that. You can reach out to me on my website, which is just ZachBitter.com. You can reach out to me on one of my social media channels. I'm most active on Instagram, which is just at ZachBitter, but also at ZBitter on Twitter. And then you can also shoot me an email at HPOPodcast at gmail.com. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that this episode's sponsors include LMNT electrolytes and Delta G ketone esters. LMNT electrolytes can be found at drinklmnt.com forward slash HPO and are offering a free sample pack with your first purchase. And Delta G ketones can be found at deltagketones.com. Also give them a follow at deltag.ketones on Instagram. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with Zach Bitter. Hey folks, thanks for checking out this episode of the podcast. For those of you who are regular listeners, you'll likely know I'm also a professional endurance athlete and coach. If you're looking for a little extra help with your training and programming, I do offer individualized coaching options where you can work directly with me one-on-one. I'll personalize your plan and even scale it up to email collaboration and regular consultations. You can also access either of those on their own if you just want to contact me as you're navigating your fitness journey. I also have some ready-made plans. The ready-made plans follow my coaching philosophy and they scale from five kilometers all the way up to 100 miles and come in three different levels. So whether you're a beginner, intermediate or advanced, I've got something for you there. And most recently, I also just added a Strength Athletes Guide to Endurance program, which will help someone who is primarily a strength athlete who wants to either do an endurance event for the fun of it, bolster up their cardiova- cardiovascular fitness or just try something out, try something new. So those programs are built to be able to supplement a strength program. So you won't have to give up on your gains in the gym while you're going after some running or endurance related fitness goals. You can find all those things on my website at zachbitter.com. Thanks for checking out this episode.